of Mark chapter 11. The Gospel of Mark chapter 11. We're going to read from the verse number 12. Mark chapter 11, and we're going to read from the verse number 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves." And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire, when ye pray and believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let's seek the Lord for prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the Word of God as we ponder your Word, we dwell upon it, we pray for your help, I pray for the power of the Holy Ghost to speak to hearts. May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen and amen. Our text is found in the verse 22, just four very simple words, but four words that are full of power, four words that come from the lips of our Savior, red letter words, if you have a red letter edition, scripture, have faith in God, have faith in God. The Lord is coming out of Jerusalem. It has been a long day. It has been a hard day. It's a trying day 
for him, and it's a trying time because he is on this week that would lead him to the cross. And as he is coming from Bethany, we are told that he is hungry. And as he hungers, he sees this fig fig tree. And the fig tree is, is full of leaves. And that signifies fruitfulness. The fig tree being full of leaves, that signifies that this tree should be a very fruitful tree. And it's a remarkable passage, this, because we see the combination of Christ's humanity and his deity. Because he is hungry. And as he is hungry, he looks at this tree that should be bearing fruit. This tree that he could reach in beyond the leaves and pluck out a fig, get some sustenance. And yet, in his deity, he knows that there's no figs in that tree. He knows that. But yet he acts as a man in his hunger. And he's looking for food. And he finds nothing but leaves. And when he finds nothing but leaves, he speaks to the tree, and the disciples hear him speaking, and they wonder at what he is saying, but yet they know better than to question him, because they have had enough experience of the Master by this time to know his power. And he simply says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And then the following morning, you will see that the fig tree is dried up from the roots. The fig tree is withered. Just one day, just one day, that tree that was full of leaves, rich with foliage, is now dead. And Peter is the one to speak. And he says in the verse 21, Master, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. You curse this tree, Lord. It's dead. And Jesus simply looks at Peter and he says, Have faith in God. This is God's power at work, power to destroy. And this teaches you that you can have faith because you have access to this power of God through faith. And so here the Lord, he links the, the littleness of man, the frailty of man, the power of God, and the very thing that unites man and all of his weakness to God's power is faith. And then the Lord goes on to say the most amazing thing in verse 23, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. If you really believe that the mountain can be taken and put into the sea, if you really believe that, 
you can have whatsoever you say. And then he goes on to link this with prayer. And he says in verse 24, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Whatever you desire, pray for them. You're going to have them. And of course he is talking about prayers that come from sincere hearts. He's not talking about selfish prayers. He's not talking about selfish requests. He's not talking about requests that simply want to see some great thing happen. He's talking about prayers that are born of need. He's talking about the, the mountains that we have in our lives. He's talking about situations and circumstances we may find ourselves in or back against the wall. We don't know where to go. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't know what the answer is. He said, when you're in that situation, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. And the very mountains that you think cannot be moved can be moved. And the things you, can't, you think cannot be changed can be changed because God is in heaven. But you need to have faith. And so here we have the Lord in his humanity and he is revealing the awesome demonstration, the solemn demonstration of God's power. And he's saying to his disciples, look, you can have this power too. Have faith in God. We cannot be saved without faith. The greatest manifestation of God's power is the salvation of a soul. And if you're not saved tonight, the the mountain that you need moved is the mountain of guilt and the mountain of sin that exists in your own heart. The mountain of unbelief that weighs you down. You need that removed. That is something that cannot take place by the mind, by the ingenuity, by the will, by the cunning, by the wisdom of man. But God can remove that mountain of guilt. But you need to have faith. Have faith in God. It teaches us how important faith is in the life of the sinner because you cannot be saved without faith. But it also teaches us the importance of faith in the life of the Christian because we can do so much more for the Lord if only we believe. The importance of belief, of trust, is what the Lord is setting before his disciples here. Have faith in God. And so there's three simple observations I would like to make this evening with regard to faith. The first one is the knowledge necessary. If we are to have faith, we need to have knowledge. Knowledge is not faith in and of itself. You can have knowledge, but not faith. And many people have known wonderful things and amazing things and tremendous things and yet were without faith. Many people have been familiar with God's Word and with the teachings of God's Word and yet had not faith. And that's a solemn thing, to be exposed to God's Word and to be exposed to the teachings of God's Word and yet not a faith. That's a tragedy. Don't allow that to happen to you. But yet, you cannot have faith without knowledge. So knowledge in and of itself is not faith, but you cannot have faith without knowledge because faith is built upon the foundation of knowledge. You need to know what you are to 
believing if you are to have faith. And that is very, very important. Faith cometh by hearing. Paul wrote to the Romans. And hearing by the Word of God. So you can only have faith when you hear. And you can only have faith when you hear the Word of God. And so you're hearing God's Word. And this is helpful where faith is concerned. And so what is the knowledge that we need if we are, if we are to have faith? Well, the first element of knowledge that we need if we're to have faith is we need to have knowledge of God himself, of the being of God. And over in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and the verse number 6, we have a very important reference that teaches us that the first thing we, we need the knowledge of is God. And in Hebrews 11, verse 6, we read, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the first thing that you need to know if you're to have faith is that God is. That's where it starts. That God is God. If you don't have that knowledge, you cannot have faith. And that ultimately is the first lesson we derive from Scripture. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That before there was a world and before there was a universe, there was God. And this God made all things. God is. Tonight, as we assemble in this house, God is he never was something he is not now. He never will be something that he is not now. God is always there and always will be there. He never looks back and he never looks forward. He is. He is the eternal one. This is God. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. When you seek after God, you find this great, immense and infinite being. Who inhabits eternity. So you need a knowledge of God that God is. But you also need a knowledge of God's works. It's very important that we know about the works of God, the accomplishments of God, what God has done. Without that kind of knowledge, you cannot have faith. What are the works of God we need to know in order that we might have faith? Well, we read earlier from Isaiah 40, and I had a particular reason for reading Isaiah 40, because I want to take you to Isaiah 40 now. And what a, a vision we gain of God here in Isaiah 40. For example, we come to verse 12 of Isaiah 40, and we read there that he has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. All of the waters of the world are measured in the hollow of God's hand. Now, you know you can't put very much water into your hand. It'll quickly overflow and it'll seep away. And yet, God's hand can hold all the waters of the earth. And you think of the, the seas and you think of the oceans. 
the vastness of the Atlantic and the Pacific, and all of the seas, and all of the rivers, and all of the lakes, lakes underground as well as lakes above ground. You think of the subterranean depths. You think of places that are so deep. It's totally black, totally dark, strange creatures live there. And yet all of that water, God takes it all and he puts it right there in the hollow of his hand. And then you look again at verse 12 of Isaiah 40. He meets out heaven with the span. So he measures the heavens. As far as man is concerned, the heavens are infinite. There is no measurement. Far off stars and galaxies. There's no measurement. Man estimates things in terms of light years, but how do you measure those kinds of things? God has the measure of it all. And then we are told again in verse 12, he comprehends the dust of the earth in a measure. The dust of the earth, all of the dust throughout the world. He measures that out. And then he puts the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. You think of the, the mighty Himalayas, the Alps, all of these great mountain ranges, their peaks towering into the sky. He takes all of this rock and he puts it into his scales. It's all measured out by him. And then you look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the eyes as a very little thing. There's the response to humanism, to the way in which man elevates himself. There's the response to the great nations of the world with their, their power. Their power is nothing to God. They're just a drop in the bucket. We read here also in this chapter that the peoples of the earth are just grasshoppers in the sight of God. And we say all of this because this is the one whom we are commanded to have faith in. We can trust him. And the more you know about God, the more you can trust him. Can we not trust such a, a great, infinite, divine being? Yes, we can. Because it's part of God's works. Yes, he has created these things. He knows every detail of every atom, every detail of every cell. He knows it all. Every molecule, he knows it all. Nothing that is hidden from him because he fashioned it all. But he's the one that sustains our whole existence. It was Paul who drew this to the attention of the ungodly crowd at Athens whenever he said in Acts chapter 17 and the verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. We live, we move, we have our being in him. If it were not for him, he said, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening to me. You wouldn't be breathing. If not for God, your heart wouldn't be pumping. You're here tonight because God has preserved you. That's why we're here. 
Our lives could have so easily been cut off over the past week. But no, God's preserved us. We have our being in him. But ultimately, this knowledge of God leads us to Calvary. He's the Savior. And throughout all of the scriptures, we have the wonderful thread of the blood shedding of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. We see Calvary. At the heart of the biblical revelation, we have the Savior who came into the world to die for us on the cross. Because God loved us so much that he gave his son, and Jesus Christ, his son, loved us so much that he yielded to the Father. And he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And that's the ultimate fact. That Christ died and rose again. You see, if you are to trust someone, you need to know who that person is that you can trust. Is that person reliable? Is that person dependable? Is what that person says, is it true? Has that person got the ability, the strength, the power? Has that person got the wisdom, the intelligence? Can I really rely upon this individual? Has that person got commitment, passion? Does that person love me? You think of all of that. God has everything. There's nothing that he doesn't have. You think of the knowledge of God. He cries out for faith. You cannot trust people. The very best of people will let us down. But here is one that will never be a disappointment. Therefore, we listen to the words of Christ where he says, have faith in God. But I also want to talk to you for a little while about the hindrances which threaten faith. Faith is such a simple thing. But we complicate faith. And we complicate faith because of our own hearts and because of our own natures. Because of our own sin. And as a consequence, we can struggle to have faith. And for those of you who are not saved, you might ask yourself and ask the question, what is faith? How can I have faith? How can I know this faith? The reason why you haven't trusted God is because you've given way to these hindrances, these dangers which contrive to prevent you trusting God. So what are the hindrances that may be preventing faith in your life? Well, there is the hindrance of materialism. Materialism is a, a very old idea. And the whole thing about materialism is that this philosophy teaches that all that there is in the world is material substance. That, that's all there is. The spiritual doesn't exist. So, so all there is is the cells and DNA and atoms and all those things, material things. That, that, that's all there is. And there is no spiritual. Man, for example, has no soul. That's what materialism teaches. There is no God. All that we have is what we can see, what we can feel, what we can experience. That is materialism. It's a very old philosophy, but it's around us all the time. Now, people will ignore God because they just choose to 
live for this world and for the things of this world. And even people who say they're not materialistic, yet they are materialistic in the attitude, their attitudes to God because they ignore the voice of God. And there are things that you may feel are important coming into this week. And there may may be things in your life that you feel are important that you need to prioritize in relation to this year. But where does God figure in your plans? Where does eternity figure in your plans? And if you are not living your life in the light of the judgment day, one day you'll stand before God and there's no one as important as God. If you do not regulate your life in the light of who God is, then you're living a materialistic life. Living for this time, living for this world, living for some job or some career or whatever it is that makes you tick. Room for pleasure, room for business. But for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in your heart for which he died. Then materialism leads inevitably to that other old philosophy, which is humanism. Humanism is the idea that Man is better than he really is. That man is the the master of his universe. Man can make up his own moral codes, make up his own rules. Man can have his own ideas, and his ideas trump all other ideas. Man can willfully set aside the Scriptures as being a book that has been contrived by man, so he says. Man can go his own way. It's something that is filled with pride, the pride of the the human heart. And if you have not trusted Christ, I would suggest that somewhere within your heart is a heart of pride. You will not accept that you're a depraved sinner in the sight of God, deserving nothing but hell forevermore. Man recoils at such a thing. Doesn't want to accept such a thing. And yet unless you do accept this thing, You cannot have faith. There is deception. The Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How dreadful the deceptions of the human heart. One deception may be everything you say is right. I know I need to become a Christian. I know I should become a Christian now, but give me a little time. It's the greatest lie that ever was spun in the caverns of hell. To give it a little time. The gospel is true. Jesus died for you. You need to trust Christ. You need to repent of your sins. You need to do all of that. But just a little time. Put it off for a little while. And you forget that solemn scripture which says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. I know it's not what a day may bring forth. You forget that the scripture says, My spirit shall not always strive with man. That you cannot come to God at a time of your own choosing. You cannot have faith at a time when you think you're going to have faith. You can only come when God calls. You can only come when the Holy Spirit moves in your heart. For no man can come to me except the Father draw him. And if you refuse the voice of God, there may come a time when God will stop to speak and you will not care. I remember talking to a man many years ago under serious conviction of sin. He had heard the gospel from he was a young boy probably all his life, and yet he was living a life of drunkenness and a very wealthy life at the same time. And he told me he feared something. He feared something. I'll never forget what he said. He feared the peace of hell. 
to wake up some morning and not be afraid of hell because God's no longer speaking. That man came to Christ that night. What about you? If you're concerned regarding your soul, don't silence the voice of the Spirit. There's only one way to have true peace, and that is to have the peace of Calvary. That is to trust God as your one and only Savior. That is to trust Jesus Christ as your Redeemer. That's the only way. Don't be deceived. Selfishness. Is that another reason why people won't come to Christ? They want their life and they want their life now. They want what they want. Nick Doerr, this man, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you, that how you've been living, just for self. Caring little of the one who gave himself for you. Doubts, is that another hindrance to faith? Doubt, it is. Some people doubt God. They, they, they doubt that God can save them. They doubt that their life can be changed. They doubt that they can be totally different when they trust Christ. They fear that they'll just go back to their life as it was. Nothing will be changed. They doubt God. You can doubt my words all you like. But you can't doubt this book because it's a covenant. That's what the word testament means. Old and New Testament, God has spoken once in the old, spoken twice in the new. God has spoken once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. God has made a covenant. He's written down his word, written down his truth, given it to us, signed and sealed it with the precious blood of his dear son. Back in the year 1638, the people of Scotland were so motivated to stand up for what they believed in that they entered into a covenant that was known as the National Covenant of Scotland. Thousands of people signed that covenant. And some of them actually opened up their own veins. They signed the covenant in their own blood. That was their conviction and their determination. But God is a covenant. The covenant is, Him that cometh to me, I will never cast out. I'll never turn the sinner away. That's God's covenant. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That covenant is written out in the really red blood of Jesus Christ. Don't doubt God. Finally, I want to talk to you about the exercise of true faith. So you have the knowledge necessary. There is this great God who does these great works, who sustains your life, who is the Savior. The dangers threatening faith, they're not real. They're mythical. They only seem real. They're put there by the devil to prevent you coming. God's bigger than those things. But you need to exercise true faith. And faith is a step. And if you're to exercise true faith, then you need to realize and you need to acknowledge that in the spiritual realm, you're completely bankrupt. There's nothing you can do but trust. Because ultimately, that's what faith is. I cannot save myself. I need to trust Christ.
And that's why the Lord in the previous chapter, Mark chapter 10, gives us this wonderful picture of the little child. Verse 14, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. It's such a sweet picture. The Lord taking these children, we're obviously very, very young children, and he takes them in his arms. He touches them. He blesses them. He says, let the children come. Let the children come. Thank God the Lord is the one that saves the boys and the girls. Little child, seven, six, five, four, younger, can come. Trust Christ. Suffer them to come. Let them come. For if such is the kingdom of God, and then he says, whosoever, whether you're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 70 or 80, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein, unless you come as a child. Unless you come simply trusting, as a child would simply trust, you cannot be saved. The trust the child has in the parent is a trust we need to place in the Lord. And that's why so many people struggle with faith, because they struggle to trust. Oh, but you can trust God. And yes, there's something that accompanies faith, and that is repentance. There needs to be a turning from sin. You cannot have your sin and a faith at the one time. You cannot hold on to that sin and think you can have that perverse pleasure and have God. You cannot. With salvation, there comes a change. There has to be a change or it's not salvation. There's this easy believism around today where you can somehow have some form of Christianity and of the old life can't be done. It's a disgrace to the name of Christ. You turn from your sin and you trust Christ completely. And he will save you now. Just bow for prayer. You're here tonight without the Lord. Oh, will you come? Lift your heart.